You are now listening to Wave a Sound. Welcome to episode 56 of Versus Mike History. I am your host, Michael History. Be sure to like, follow, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you choose to listen. And if we are on your preferred platform, let us know and we'll do our best to change that. For premier access to Versus Mike History content, join our members only subscription tier on versusmikehistory.com. The programs exist in the black community. What we have to do is to forge a revolutionary ideology that makes those pro- programs work for the struggle, make the programs work for the struggle. Now, in terms of the whole role of college students at this point, black college students in particular, you have, you know, a vast, you know, there's a colony in Bedford-Stuyvesant, there's a colony in Harlem, you're surrounded by it. We need people, you know, to do work, to organize black people. We need people to go in and to work with black people, to infuse black people with that type of revolutionary ideology. Because if they don't have it, then every time Nixon comes up and screams that he got a new program, black capitalism, uh, which is, you know, a myth, then they're going to try it out. They're going to go for the ghost. You go for the ghost. You, you know, you laugh, but you go for the ghost. See, the whole thing, you know, like in terms of where we are at now, where a lot of us are at now, is that we have infused as an ideology or foreign ideology the whole concept of militant blackism. In other words, it has become sufficient for a lot of us to be black, to be black and proud. But understand that there is no contradiction between singing America is my home and saying that I'm black and I'm proud. There is no contradiction. So a lot of us are just at the point where we are black and proud. That's not sufficient. We must go beyond our dashikis, our beards, and our beads. You have to go beyond that. See, because we have to understand... You have to understand that what happens in terms of a country of this nature is that you cannot talk about creating something until this thing has been destroyed. Yo, 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 what's good, family? We are back again for another episode of Versus Mike History. It's your boy. And, you know, um, I don't have much to get into in terms of current events, but we are trying out some new stuff today on the podcast. Um, I've decided that I'm going to start having way more guests on the main line of the podcast and... I'm going to be shifting the interview portion of the series over to the members only subscription tier. So um, the next interviews that you guys hear from the podcast will um, be behind a paywall. So you guys will have to pay five dollars a month to get them. But I promise you um, the next couple of interviews uh, are going to be high profile interviews not one and they're going to be worth the money i promise you because i'm not just sitting down with people and and recording but i'm also doing a photo shoot um doing a write-up putting the presentation together in a way that will make it worth your money to you know sit down and listen to these people uh speak to me but like I said, we got a couple of things to get into. Um, I got Seth and Ramsey on the podcast today. Uh, and, you know, we're going to get into what we get into. Let's go ahead and get started. So, as always, you know, we leave with love at the beginning of the podcast. And today I want to give a shout out to everybody who's been rocking with me so far. Um, you know, it's been a journey just trying to find my way in terms of creating the best structure for the podcast. And, you know, um, what I'm doing is for you guys. So everybody who's rocking with me, shout out to you. Um, You know, we got some really exciting things to look forward to as the weather gets warmer um, and as everybody starts to get outside more. So I'm just really excited about everything that's going on with the podcast and, 
Um, you know, the audience feedback that I've been getting has been very crucial to the growth here. So shout out to you guys. And let's go ahead and get into our black spotlight. All right, guys. So for our black spotlight of the week, I'm getting it from Variety.com. So bear with me in a reason such. Maya Neal and Jamika Wilson become the first black women nominated for hair and makeup Oscar. So Ma Rainey's Black Bottom hair department head Maya Neal and Jamika Wilson, hairstylist to Oscar nominated actor, actress, excuse me, Viola Davis made history on Monday when they became the first black woman to be nominated for hair and makeup. The award was created by the Academy in 1981 after the 1980 film The Elephant Man was not recognized. Neil, who previously worked on Uncut Gems, says, I'm overwhelmed with gratitude to be honored by such a prestigious committee to be with Jamaica and for us to be the first African-American nominated, African-Americans nominated in this category is overwhelming. I have to raise my expectations for myself because this was something that I never thought I could achieve. Shout out to these two black women who are leading the charge in the hair and makeup styling department for the academy um of course our people are have much knowledge when it comes to um hairstyling and and makeup and you know we usually are in the lead in these industries because we uh are so focused on taking care of our bodies but um, these two black women are finally being acknowledged for the work that they've put in uh, so diligently. And, you know, we couldn't be happier for them. So shout out to these two black women. Hopefully they win this Academy Award. Uh, it will be unprecedented for them. And we wish them the best. All right, guys. So for our first contributor, we have Cecily, a.k.a. Cess the God. She came on and gave us a reading uh, for the week. And, um, you know, I thought it was a pretty good conversation. So let's go ahead and get into it. Yo, Sess. Hey, what's going on? Hey, hey, hey. So I got you on the pod today for one of my newer uh, segments that I'm going to uh, hopefully have you recurring on. And, you know, I just want you to do some some readings for us in the audience. Okay, so um, I follow this tarot um, reader. Her name is Jessica Dorr. Um, and so since I haven't pulled any cards for myself um, this week, I'm going to go with one of hers that like, you know, really resonated with me and what I kind of wanted to go into the week, like the mindset I kind of wanted to go into the week with. So um, I'll read the card. So today's card, well, this week's card. Um, it's easy to say, trust the process, even easy to know on an intellectual level why we have to. Still, we don't, and that's our problem. What we can trust is this. A process is happening, whether we trust it or not. All is changing at all times, us, others, and circumstances always. And cut. <laughs> <laughs> Word. Um, and I mean... And the- Oh, one last thing. Sorry. The card that's the tarot card that's associated with that message is the world card. Okay, cool. Um, Yeah. How do you, how did that make you feel? I don't know. I mean, it, it feels like, it feels like, you know, the card is telling me to trust my instinct and trust the process. And even though it doesn't seem like you can't really see the, the long-term effects of what you're doing now, you know, it'll pay off accordingly. That's what I took from it, at least. Yeah, exactly. Because, like, you know, all things are happening, even when you think that they're not happening, you know? Because, like, I feel like we beat ourselves up a lot. It's like, you know, we're taking too much time to ourselves or we feel like we're resting too much or we're not always doing something. Um, But it would, this, what I took away from it was just, like, you know, regardless of what I think I could or could not be doing, because I have the process in mind, the goal in mind, the process is happening, you know, all the time. Right, right. All right. Well, thank you for sharing with us. And hopefully we'll be hearing from you again. Yes, no problem. It was great. All right. See you. Okay. Bye. Bye.
Okay, let's get into our off the topics. Um, I'm going to go ahead and get started with the Grammys first and foremost and congratulate all the black artists who have won this year. Um, starting with Meg Thee Stallion. Meg Thee Stallion, she won every category that she was nominated for, which includes Best New Artist. Um, and I'll get to the rest of them when I scroll past them on my phone. Um, we get Kitronado winning two Grammys, one for Best Re- uh, Dance Recording, which was for 10% featuring Kali Uchis. Um, the other was for Best Dance slash electronic album which was obviously for Bubba and this is the first time a black artist has won in that category as well so shout out to the good brother Katra for that win um what else so for best R&B performance Beyonce wins for Black Parade for best traditional performance Lettucey wins for anything for you For Best R&B Song, Better Than I Imagined by Robert Glasper. I didn't even know that. I'm just reading this now. I love that song. Um, Best Progressive R&B Album uh, is a win by Thundercat. Shout out to that guy. Um, Best R&B Album goes to John Legend, Bigger Than Love. Uh, Best Rap Performance goes to Meg Thee Stallion featuring Beyonce Savage. Best melodic rap performance goes to Anderson Pack, Lockdown. I love that song. Best rap song goes to uh, Savage, which is another Beyonce win, another and another um, Meg Thee Stallion win. Um, for best rap album, we get Nas earning his first Grammy of his career for King's Disease. And, um, you know, that was one of the most important ones to me because we need to be giving uh, our our great veterans their flowers, especially somebody like Nas. Like, there's no reason why Nas should have a Grammy by this point. Um, So, yeah, shout out to all the black artists who won at the Grammys this year. You know, it was very eventful. I think that... Um, Beyonce and Hove were definitely trying to make a statement uh, with the wearing black and them cleaning house because Hove is uh, very publicly anti-Grammy. And Beyonce didn't really have any reason to be there outside of the fact that I'm pretty sure that the Grammys went out of their way to give her all of the awards that she was nominated for this year as, uh, as well, most of them. Um outside of the infamous album of the year category that she still has not won that cat- that Taylor Swift has now won three times doesn't make any sense um but regardless shout out to those people and um we always celebrate in black music so this was just something that we could celebrate even further and let's go ahead and move on um i want to get into the whole Anita Baker uh, fiasco because it is uh, very troubling to hear that she doesn't have control of her music. And I'm getting this uh, information from yahoo.com. So bear with me. Anita Baker says, uh, Anita Baker asks fans not to buy or stream her music as she battles for her masters. On the eve of Grammy Sunday, Anita Baker has asked fans not to buy or stream her music. The Detroit-based icon posted on Twitter last week that she, she'd outlive all of her recording contracts and that the right to her masters should legally revert to her. Baker is re- referencing copyright reversion, which allows musicians to retain their copyrights after 35 years. However, the law doesn't mean that the revision is immediate or automatic according to future According to the Future Music Coalition, a music education and advocacy group, per their website, there are steps a musician must take to regain their copyrights under the law. That is bullshit. The music industry is slavery and make sure that you own every single piece of content that you put out because it makes no sense that somebody as iconic as Anita Baker has to go behind some fucking white executive until us not to listen to her classics her undeniable classics because some fucking white guy wants to hold her music hostage it's not cool um 
But regardless, we're not streaming Anita Baker's music until she gets right with her masters. And that's just that, you know? What else we got? Um, let's see, let's see, let's see. Ah, okay. So we have um, Kinsley Ben Adir to star in Marvel's Secret Invasion Disney Plus series. And I'm getting this from Shadow and Act. So one night, Miami star Kinsley Kingsley Ben Adir is joining the Marvel Cinematic Universe. According to Variety, Ben Adir will be one of the leads opposite Samuel L. Jackson and Ben Mendelsohn in Marvel's Secret Invasion. His role is not yet known, but the trade publication states he will be one of the villains. This is exciting because um, I'm really looking forward to the Marvel Secret Invasion series one because that was one of the most iconic Marvel comics um, to ever be published. And um, the fact that actors of color are getting booked so frequently in the Marvel Cinematic Universe now. Um, it's really pleasing to me and my homegirls. And, um, you know, it's certainly shaped the MCU up for the better. Um, definitely based off of that first episode of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. But, you know, congrats to this black man for securing the Disney bag. And let's keep it moving. Um, I have here that Media mogul Brian Allen, Byron Allen, excuse me, challenges ad agencies and brands to spend with black media. And I'm getting this from Black Enterprise, so bear with me. Byron Allen, who owns the Weather Channel and 10 uh, 24-hour cable networks, is tired of hearing unfulfilled pledges from advertisers to diversify their ads. Allen told ad ages, uh, Allen told ad age, that he's had conversations with CEOs and executives at agencies about investing more in black media, but a year later he seems he sees almost no progress. Allen then blames the racism on Madison Ave for the lack of progress. Last year, a bevy of national and regional corporate brands made commitments to be more inclusive, support minorities, and put more minorities in management positions. According to Allen, some brands simply doing the work with female-owned businesses and not necessarily women of color. Yeah, I'm all for Byron Allen. Um, not necessarily for his business endeavors. I don't know the black man that well, but shout out to him. Um, but I definitely feel him in terms of ad agencies spending money with black media because they do not. Um, how often do you? How often are you watching TV and you see a commercial for a black business? Almost never. Almost never. Um, it's cool that we're living in the age where we have these bigger platforms like Google and Amazon that will point into the direction of a black business. Um, that's definitely progress, but we definitely need um, an ecosystem where uh, black media is being put on a platform to promote the things that um, black people are creating in our own communities. Simple as that. And uh, we need the ad revenue and it would be nice. So uh, this is something that I can fortunately say that I'm definitely behind. Um, yeah, and that's pretty much it. All right, guys, let's go ahead and get into some new music. Um, there isn't much, but I will go over what I did see on the streaming platforms. So um, in terms of projects, uh, Benny the Butcher, he just dropped the plugs I met too, featuring Harry Fraud. They um, floated all across that. Uh, Joyce Rice released her her project, Overgrown. I still haven't listened to it, but um, I definitely have plans on listening to it. Uh, Guapdad 4000, he dropped a project with Illmind, 1176, and Tokyo Jets with Cancel Culture. Um, that's pretty much all I see from projects, uh, project-wise. But in terms of singles, I know that Roddy Rich he dropped off Heartless, live from L.A. Uh, T Grizzly and Lil Dirt got one called White Lows, off Designer. D Nice, Neo, and Kent Jones have a song called No Plans for Love. Snoop Dogg with CEO, Young Dolph with uh, Sleep with the Roaches, and that's featuring Key Glock. I'm not sure if they're releasing a project together, but uh, seems that way. 
and Lil TJ Polo G and Fabio Foreign release Headshot. Um, I believe that that's going to be a project as well. I'm not too sure, so don't quote me on that. But um, yeah, there wasn't that much music that dropped this week, but I'm pretty sure that's just due to everyone gearing up and preparing for the weather breaking and um, getting ready to release projects that they've probably been sitting on for months and months. So, you know, it's cool that we get in, that we get time off from all of the flurry of releases that consistently happen. But uh, outside is clearly opening back up. People are putting their tunes back out and it's exciting times. So, yeah. All right, guys, for our second guest on the episode, we have Jonathan Ramsey and he stopped by to talk to us about the Snyder Cut. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get into it. Yo, yo, yo. So I got my guy Ramsey with me for our TV and film section of the podcast this week. Um, We are going to talk about the Snyder Cut because, you know, that four hour long, (laughs) um, whatever you may call it, was just released on HBO Max. And, um, you know, people want to hear how it was and um it's been a long road up to this point so it'd be cool to get into it for a, at least a little bit <laughs> so um just to just to preface this conversation uh justice league was originally released in 2017 mm-hmm. um it was credited as being directed by Zack Snyder but the theatrical cut was mostly shot was mostly directed by uh, Joss Whedon, who came in to take over the film after Zack Snyder suffered a loss of his daughter. Mm-hmm. And um, Warner Brothers Pictures, who produced the film, they hired Joss to come in and basically take over for Zack um, during his grieving time. And there were many other issues going on during this time um like Ray Fisher having issues on the set uh with Joss Whedon and other producers um you know and just harassment claims and things like that Mm -hmm. but um that is the reason why the 2017 film is so different from this theatrical cut that we just got and I want to hear your initial thoughts uh yeah so i think um i i think in the beginning uh at least before i um you said and i found out about um his his daughter um Mm. i thought at first it was a situation where like warner brothers was scared to put out a four-hour movie and i kind of think that like because dc is such a fan uh, a niche fan base that they could have taken the chance on that um i mean this is obviously before I knew about his daughter and, and uh, his right. loss. But I thought that, I thought they were like, oh, yeah, like nobody wants to sit in the theaters for four hours, which is a complete understanding. <laughs> like, but also at the same time, like, you know, like, like stories like Lord of the Rings, those are four hour movies, three and a half for, for like, I think the second one, but the first and third one were, I think those were both over four hours and those swept in, in, all the um, Oscars and Academy Awards. So I think that they would have been fine to take the chance on it um, in in the theaters the first time around. But, uh, the, you know, like I, I, they didn't spend enough time in the theatrical cut with, um, with a lot of the characters like Cyborg and The Flash and even Aquaman. Um, and because it was like, we, we didn't know like, all right, Superman has got, got an origin story. Uh, Wonder Woman even got an origin story after after Dawn of Justice. But it was like, you're introducing a bunch of new characters. We don't know anything about them except for their metahumans. And we need them. <laughs> and that was it. We didn't know any character. Like, we didn't know if, if they were down for the team, if they wasn't down for the team. When, and it was just like, here's... 15 minutes of their character arc 
and now we're going to just throw you into conflict where every other character got something so that that was part of my qualms with the theatrical cut versus the snyder cut which they spent so much time on cyborg and flash in a way that we didn't get the first time around yeah so there was just so much in this film that was just not present in in the theatrical cut and um to your point the reason uh well the article that was released recently um spoke about how in light of Zack Snyder's tragedy um well I'll rewind a little bit mm-hmm. Warner Brothers and Zack Snyder were already having tiffs because of the reaction or the reception rather um to Batman v Superman mm-hmm. now we got Batman v Superman because um, the studio's reaction to Man of Steel was that they wanted to add Batman into this into this franchise, which makes sense, you know, yeah. their reaction to uh, Marvel Studios and whatnot. But they didn't enjoy the the final product of Batman v Superman, which caused them to butt heads on the set of of Justice League. And what happened was that in the midst of this, Zack Snyder experienced a tragedy. So mm-hmm. instead of, you know, uh, you know, pulling back and allowing Zack to, you know, fully uh, flesh out his vision, they capitalized on this tragedy by bringing in another uh, filmmaker by Josh, um, by way of Joss Whedon. Mm-hmm. And essentially just, you know, they, they had him there as like sort of, you know, this is extra help while you're grieving, yada, yada, yada. And Zach didn't really see the need of it. But after a certain point, there was so much interference that Zach just would, he he rather, he would rather stay home and grieve uh, in a different process rather than, you know, uh, plowing through and finishing the film. Because the reality of the situation was that he wanted to finish the film even after his daughter died. But there was so much interaction and headbutting with with the studio that he didn't see it worth being under stress due to them and due to his loss. Yeah, and um, it's really it's really unfortunate because it um, resulted in a completely different take on the film that we got in 2017. And I'll go ahead and get started with um, the changes that were made to. Aquaman because um, that's basically where we start the film after that dramatic scene of uh, after that dramatic recap of Superman being killed. Yeah. Um, So yeah, essentially the film starts the same way with um, Bruce Wayne going to find the Aquaman um, at some in some small village and the scene is just completely different in the sense that in the theatrical cut um we see Aquaman go from like this gritty this gritty character and like a light basically just like a switch basically just gets flipped and he turns into this like loving endearing character yeah. and essentially he just joins Batman um at the first request and we don't see that in this film like we see aquaman actually saying no you know like it doesn't make sense for me to join you guys' fight when i'm not even on good terms with the people who i share half my bloodline with um and i thought that was really interesting you know because it, it contextualized uh how the group came together very differently yeah um and then um in addition to that it's like like i think in the in the theatrical cut like he only came around like like after like atlantis lost their mother box like yeah so what happened in the theatrical cut was that um was that uh, batman approaches aquaman he says pretty much yes well he says no but like he comes back at the um, initial Steppenwolf scene. Yeah. Um, out of nowhere. 
you know yeah, like, in the fight in the sewers like it was just yeah. like oh i'm here though like i said nah but i'm here yeah literally out of nowhere um and what was i saying sorry i lost my train of thought oh yeah you um you said that what were you saying i just lost my train of thought uh yeah i was i was saying like um aquaman didn't pull up until after um right, they right lost right. the mother box in atlantis right so batman approaches aquaman aquaman says no and then the mother box gets stolen and instead of approaching batman aquaman just meets them back in the tunnel when they're going to approach stephen wolf for the first time and um that didn't really work in this film either you know the aquaman stuff in general just doesn't work for me personally um you know the tone from this film to the aquaman film that we get um after the original justice league they they differ in tone so much that Zack Snyder trying to revisit this character in this way doesn't make any sense because we've yeah. already seen him go through an evolution. So the the tone the tone change is very confusing. Um, but moving on to Wonder Woman and and the changes that they made for her, that opening scene with the um, the organization trying to uh, blow up. The building is, yeah. is very different. Um, you know, we see the Wonder Woman that we saw in Batman versus Superman and in the first Wonder Woman film and not whatever we got in Wonder Woman 84. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. um, completely different and, you know, uh, rightfully powered and, you know, an endearing character, rightfully so, you know, after all the action takes place. Yeah. It, it like it adds a lot to that film. Uh, it, it adds a lot to that scene. What Zack Snyder um, adds. Yeah, and, and another thing, uh, we were talking earlier about how um, how um, what was I saying? How Batman versus Superman might have been better received if, if Wonder Woman was bef- came out before it, and we weren't introducing new characters with. Uh, a film about everybody mm-hmm. like if everybody got their own origins but Most the definitely. question i i don't understand now um and this is just for aquaman um where and not even because of the snyder cut coming out now but like i, I really don't understand where aquaman takes place is that before justice league or after justice league so um the events of the aquaman film take place after justice league Okay. Because uh, Mira addresses the Justice League events in the beginning of the Aquaman film. Okay, gotcha. It's just that it's just that <laughs> Zack Snyder casted Jason Momoa as Aquaman, and then you know um, he didn't get to finish the Justice League film, so the tone of the character was changed in the theatrical cut, and then based off of the theatrical cut, James Wan directed the Aquaman film. So, uh, so basically the Aquaman that we get in the Aquaman film is kind of based off of Joss Whedon's Aquaman more so than uh, okay. the, the vision that Zack Snyder had, you know, I'm sure that Zack Snyder was a part of that process in some type of way, but mm-hmm. ultimately um, I think that the character was changed, you know, like yeah. it, it, I think it's pretty, pretty obvious that, Jason Momoa was never supposed to wear that gold costume. <laughs> yeah. Like it's it's pretty clear. I mean, you know, they made it work as much as they could, but ultimately it's like, yo, the, y'all changed the character, which yeah. is fine. It's fine, but you know, I'm calling a spade a spade. Yeah. <laughs> nah, they made him like this. Uh not that he wasn't witty, but like they made him like this uh, kind of a smart aleck. Like, you know, he's way more of a jokey character in his in his own film, and that's because of the additional joking lines that Josh Whedon add to Justice Justice League. So yeah. to add, you know, you know, more connective tissue, the character was probably altered to be more comedic. But it just doesn't work because you know when we get to the when we get to Zack Snyder's version of the Justice League film, it doesn't even make sense how you he would go from who he was in the Snyder cut to Aquaman. Like 
it yeah. like he tries to tie it together at the end of the film, but ultimately um, there's a large jump in terms of character motivation and personality hmm. uh, from Justice League to Snyder uh, from the Snyder Cut to Aquaman. Yeah. But let's keep let's keep moving um, on to the additions and changes that came with uh, the Flash because yeah. there were a significant amount. You know, we got to see the fact that um, Barry already has his powers. One, so yeah. we're clearly not getting an origin story, which is fine. You know, everybody knows the story, the origin of all of these characters for the most part. Yeah, outside of maybe like Wonder Woman, and um, yeah, outside of maybe like Wonder Woman. But yeah. we know we all know she comes from an island of Amazon, so that's enough. Yeah, that's that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially. Uh, yeah. Um but with the Flash, we get so we get better comedic relief one than than the in the uh, theatrical cut. The theatrical cut had um a lot of like childish jokes. It had the Flash delivering a lot of childish jokes versus in this mm-hmm. they were more suited to the tone of the film. Uh additionally, we get a very um a very important scene with the flash at the in the final act which i'll get back to later mm-hmm. and um you know the scene with him saving iris west um yeah is is included and to be honest when i first watched it i really enjoyed that scene and i don't think i enjoy it less now but after i've um I've watched and listened to a couple of reviews and I will admit that that scene is a little drawn out. It's necessary for the film, but it's definitely drawn out as are multiple points in this film, but we'll get to that as well. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I, I like what they, what Snyder did with him because in the Whedon version, it seems like the flash was like, all right, yeah, he has his powers, but like, he just seems to be like, afraid of doing anything it's like batman literally had to say like save one person and then do it again and -hmm. then do it again where like this flash like oh the smoke it's time for me to run like it's let's go Mm -hmm. and it bothered me a lot that we in the in, in the theatrical cut um a lot of dialogue between batman and the flash is like batman coaching the flash on being a hero but in the film batman shows up to flash's hideout or apartment yeah and he already has a suit that's one and two he already has his powers so it's like you're in three in batman versus superman we see that the flash is already doing uh doing heroic acts so in the in the theatrical cut, it doesn't even make sense that Batman has to coach Flash on what he needs to do because Flash already had a costume. Like, yeah. like all right, he's clearly already the Flash. <laughs> Word. And and yeah. Um with yeah, it just it, it didn't make it, it didn't the theatrical cut just made the flash a lot less a lot less interesting. And then the stuff with his dad and the prison was very important um it yeah, was they, very important to, to, to freshen out the character i don't know i don't know if it was absolutely necessary that we get two scenes of him um visiting his dad in prison but um one of those scenes were is definitely enough you know like yeah like maybe we don't get the one at the end where he's like oh i got a regular job i got a job yeah but the initial conversation of like yo i am going to law school so that I can be your lawyer so I can get you out of jail. It was very necessary because, yeah. you know, it was like, yo, you have to live your own life. You have to chart your chart your own future. And that all comes into play at the end of the film. Yeah. With him uh, ended up at Star Labs. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, and let's get into Cyborg additions and changes, man, because Cyborg... Yeah is basically the star of this film yeah it boggles my mind uh 
quite a bit as to how a studio had access and knowledge of all of the footage of this character and yet and still just let it rock this was like you know what nah we don't need any of this we're cool it like i get that the studio is having issues with ray fisher right hmm. um but the character that he plays in the film is so integral to the storyline <laughs> yeah that you almost have to play ball like this is somebody whose character is written to save the day everybody <laughs> like you you can't have a a movie about like mother boxes and apocalypse and <laughs> and dark side without cyborg being in this like it was like he wasn't in the first film and it makes no sense it like okay so we don't get any cyborg in batman v superman or like outside of the clip obviously which was yeah. which was just footage shot <laughs> um, yeah, it was word. And um and we don't get any cyborg in, in Man of Steel, obviously. But in this, you know, we get Cyborg's full story. His yeah. full, like, like, yo, what are your powers? How did this happen to you? What's going on outside of this of the superheroics? We get the answers yeah. to all of those questions. We see his relationship with his mom. We see his football career. We see the relationship with his dad. And we see how he's dealing with being a cyborg. And on top of that, him being a cyborg ties directly into the villain's um, aspirations of obtaining all the mother boxes. Yeah. Because cyborg literally knows exactly what's going on throughout the entire film. Yep. And in the theatrical cut, it's like, all right, well... How do you know all of this? Like, we don't even know what you do. Yeah, they just made him an angsty teen in the first, in the first one, and now it's like yeah. After the nah, Snyder like, cut, after yo, after the Snyder cut, you you're looking at this film like, all right, so why wasn't this the next project that they chose to work on? Like, since we've gotten Justice League, we've gotten Wonder Woman, we've gotten Shazam, we've gotten Suicide Squad, we've gotten Birds of Prey, yeah. but no cyborg film and i understand he's been going back and forth with it with the studio but it's like when you cast somebody to play an integral role in a franchise that you deem uh worth billions of dollars why don't Mm -hmm. you give the actors leeway to be who they want in these roles yeah like why why are why do they have to even think about being harassed on these sets of these billion dollar films where okay. everything should be going perfectly. A lot of people have a lot of money involved and invested. So why is this going on? And then the people who are at fault stay in power and, you know, he's the one that falls victim to. <laughs> yeah. It, like he had to have signed the NDA. Cause mm-hmm. like if, if it were me, if I were in his shoes and, I did all these scenes, I shot all this stuff, and then the Whedon version of that film comes out. And I know everything that happened in the Snyder Cut. I would have I would have told the press, I would have told everybody. So like, you know, shout out to him for, for staying quiet if yeah. he didn't sign an NDA. Because this is nuts. Yeah, it was crazy. I don't think he signed an NDA, but there's definitely um there was definitely he was definitely uh he definitely felt a grudge like i think that he knew exactly how much he contributed to the film and to see how much of it was cut out he's probably like yo like i don't understand why my character is not being valued in this film when he's literally like how we resolve the issues <laughs> in the film in the story like and yeah. and whatever josh had josh had planned for the rewrite or the reshoots just that just wasn't a part of it at all you know um let's move on though to uh the not changes but the superman stuff because he's not in a lot of this film but i do think that the small changes that were made to his character um in the concept in the context of this film uh make it a little bit better you know 
Yeah, he was a little less jokey. We didn't uh, we didn't get the scene of him in the Flash racing after they saved the day. Right. Um, but um. But I mean, like we still got we still got. Which wasn't scene. a bad scene, you know. Yeah. I, I don't th- I don't hate that scene. Yeah. No, I th- I thought it was cool. Um, and I think the kids really liked it too, because mm-hmm. you know, um, a, a thing another thing I like about um, I like about the the changes, um. And and it's kind of crazy. Like we we missed that scene in the in the theatrical cut where Batman's like, "Oh, we need to call in the big the big guns," mm-hmm. and, and they bring in Lois Lane. Like Lois just kind of like just shows up, and so like I, I thought that was that was interesting because like he, he was literally about to just murder Batman at that point. Facts. <laughs> and Lois like comes in and saves the day. So um. They kept yeah, him the, as dark as he could have been. It it yeah, almost the, the, the like, concept the con the context of that scene changes a lot in the Snyder cut, and yeah. it makes a lot more sense. You know, bringing Superman back and him just like not being, especially like with the whole rebirth scene in general. Like it's not like everything just happens on top of each other. Like it's yeah, it's a, it's way more gradual. Yeah, and they left it open, right? So like now it's like we can go a lot of like because i mean obviously like you could see snyder takes a lot of inspiration from the comics so mm-hmm. um now we can either go an injustice route we can go like reign of superman route moving forward so like it's like we didn't just i i feel like we didn't just wanted to make this the the superman homecoming movie <laughs> Yeah, like instead think, of cyborg, instead of a Justice League film. I think that I think that um this film I think that the way Josh looked at this film was in the context of Superman having an overall arc of like birth, death, and rebirth. Mm-hmm. You know, and that I guess you can say that that is what happens in, in Josh's I mean in Zach's um in Zach's trilogy of films as well but it's not necessarily supposed to be centric on uh you know superman just saving the day like it's, yeah. it's more so about like the need for heroes and um you know bringing back hope that people had when they were introduced to superman yeah because superman is literally a guy who's lived among human beings for his entire life and then you know when the people that he comes from come and try to destroy the, his new world he saves the world like yeah that's that's an amazing story i mean i think so but um and then to see like the, the journey that he's made in into the justice league is like all right i could see why people would want him back but um you know what josh did essentially just bringing him back to defeat the the villain at the end of the, his film yeah. uh the theatrical cut was just it just didn't really is it made it cheap it made everything that happened leading leading up to superman coming back very cheap and in this film it does that very differently you know um i don't think that this film has a lot of time to explore superman coming coming back and like reintegrating into society but um it definitely does a way better job of reintroducing him into the team uh rather than you know him just waking up and being being like clark or like him waking up being evil and then seeing lois and then being good like it's like it's a little bit more drawn out yeah and it was like he got he even had to go to alfred and alfred's like yo like it's nice to have you but like you might not make it in time mm -hmm. like (laughs) he had to get like (laughs) like debriefed almost like you know where yeah um and then the Steppenwolf changes, like the stuff that were added, that was added to Steppenwolf to like flesh out his character a little bit more as a villain uh, was great. His redesign was awesome. Way, way yes. cockier. Um, I think that I, I haven't watched the Joss Whedon version, the theatrical cut <laughs> of this film in a while, but like the Amazon scene just resonates way more. Yeah, you know, like it just it just feels he just feels more powerful in this film, uh, which is yeah. which is great. Um, 
I like the the conversation, the added conversations with Desaad. I don't know how that didn't make it into the yeah, original yeah. film either. And now we have more of a motivation. We know why Stephen is like desperate to get Earth. Not just yeah. like, you know, I mean, like as if he wasn't before, but it was like right. now is the time to strike because there's no Kryptonian here. There's no Green Lantern here. It's like this is the best time. Like so like it, there was motivation behind it and it made sense. Yeah. And like the thing about it also is that like in the in the theatrical cut, um it comes off as if Darkseid sent Steppenwolf to Earth to get yeah. the boxes. And in this yeah. film, that's not the case at all. Like not the case. Like Darkseid wasn't even really worried about Earth. Um he wasn't really worried about the mother boxes like that because his followers even thought that Steppenwolf was going to fail, which is which I thought was a very interesting concept to to introduce. Yeah. It's like even the villains don't believe in the the antagonist, <laughs> the main antagonist <laughs> of this film. So it is very cool. Uh, jumping now to the to the final act that we see the Justice League come together. They're fighting him and they're actually winning because he's not as strong as Darkseid. Like it makes sense that they're beating him. It's just that he it makes way more sense in the context of the of the Snyder Cut because it's clear that Steppenwolf just caught Earth by surprise. Like, you know, like they, they were nobody was expecting any type of invasion where some guys is gonna come and snatch up all the mother boxes and put them together and take over the world really quickly. There are no heroes. Yeah. Superman just died. Like, this is not the time. Like, nobody's expecting that, except like maybe Batman. Yeah. And, I guess the Flash. I don't know, whatever. Um, that's still not clear. <laughs> um yeah. And in this film, it's like, yo, like he's trying to get back into the good graces of Darkseid. He's speaking to one of Darkseid's assistants. Um, and, and even in the process of him trying to complete what he's trying to complete in this film, we get a setup for future events. Yeah. Very cool. Very, very cool. You know? Yeah, we, we like they brought up the anti-life equation. It wasn't just about the mother box. We, exactly. Uh, and then we even got some past. Like we we got um, Wonder Woman talking in detail about like the first fight with Darkseid on Earth and mm -hmm. why he hasn't been back. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, um, and then, you know, it was it was interesting because like in the Whedon version, there was like a sense of familiarity between Stephen Wolf and Wonder Woman. And it was like, they have literally never interacted before. So like, how do they know each other? I know he might know of the Amazons from before or whatever, but like he didn't know Diana specifically. So like this version, it was like, nah, we, we got smoke, but like, I don't really know you like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was very cool, Steppenwolf and Diana's relationship because clearly there, it was like, it was built up over the film. Like yeah. he starts at with the Amazons, he fights them, he beats a bunch of them, and then he's introduced to uh to Wonder Woman. He acknowledges that she's that that she's an Amazon as well. But after mm -hmm. fighting her, he realizes that she's a little bit more powerful. And yeah. then by the final act, it's like, yo, we going at each other. Like, yo, no parademons touch her. Like she's mine. Like and yeah, I was like, yo, like how did this not make it to the original film? It literally doesn't make sense. It it literally like this film literally fleshes out every single character not even just the justice league but all even the side characters silas stone um yeah uh cyborg's dad gets yeah. fleshed out in a way that makes cyborg story much better um we get more lois lane even though she's not necessary um we got some easter eggs uh like her pregnancy uh we saw the pregnancy test when she opened right. the drawer mm -hmm. um I th well, you know what? That might have been in the original cut. I, I don't remember. Nah, I, only, it I only watched it once. <laughs> you know, it was not. I promise you, it wasn't. <laughs> um, yeah. And then you know the and then in the final act, we see everybody get some time to shine. Um, it's shot much. We got different. Martian Manhunter. Like he was nowhere to be found in the first one. And. So like they introduced um, the whole other character. So let's break down this 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 flashpoint scene uh, leading up to the end of the film, which basically 
which we where we basically see the flash change the outcome of the end of the film because the team doesn't win yeah yeah straight up and it's like um in the original version flash was like reduced to just hey go save some to nothing go push this truck out of the the blast radius like to literally like saving the damn day in this one you know it's it's nuts word yeah nah bro like it like flash his his arc over this film is completely changed in such a great way and um and then the film ends they save the day and uh lex luther we get the lex luther scene and the nightmare scene in the epilogue and the martian manhunter scene yeah. but let's let's start with the lex luther scene um not much has changed except the dialogue but the dialogue change was much needed because the whole a league of our own line was just not cool i just didn't like it like you know like yeah he's lex has never spoken like that so it just whatever i get that yeah. it was supposed to be like oh in justice league but like no that's not it's not what like that's not even how <laughs> lex acted in batman v superman yeah like we were talking about how charismatic like this lex is versus like a lot of other depictions of him where he's more serious like but like yeah, that league of our own. That was that was corny, man. That that was a swing and a miss, but it's fine. Um, and then Deathstroke and um, Lex straight up just giving up Bruce Wayne's name to him. Um, that was I thought that was dope. Um, and then to see Deathstroke with with Batman uh, later in the epilogue. But oh, well, you know, let me not fast forward. But no, it's fine. Um, yeah. So. Um, I don't know if you've ever played uh, DC Universe Online. It's a uh, it's a computer and console game, but um, the epilogue kind of kind of goes like it, it kind of parallels the cinematic trailer for that. It's supposed to be like a a, a twist on Injustice, right? Yeah, something um, like that. Yeah, just the storyline. Yeah, it's it's kind of like a cross between both of those where um where like so the injustice storyline where um I don't know if we're gonna spoil this should should Go we? Ahead. Uh, all right so like where uh Joker kind of tricks uh, Superman to kill Lois Lane um by accident and her unborn child their unborn child which causes Superman to just like go off the deep end and not let anybody free will does not exist anymore he's in charge um and then for wonder woman to not also be there on batman and cyborg and flash's side um so that tells me she might take superman's side like he did like she did in injustice so um uh then the scene um well it's all the same scene but like one why is deathstroke there um i think that like he probably added that scene with um with um lex luther at the end and it was like you know what let's just bring him back for something else because yeah. you know we already introduced him so why don't we just give him something else to do yeah uh and then the um the whole dialogue between uh joker and batman got crazy um <laughs> Um, talking about like uh, yeah, reaching around and fucking yeah. kill you and Harley Quinn and Robin. Yeah. And it was a lot, yeah. Yeah. but you know, it was it was all like that was like fantasy stuff. That's that's how I took that, you know, because at the end of the day, Batman wakes up from that sequence to um, to meet Martian Manhunter, who's like, "Yo, I've been around, but now I care." <laughs> so let's work <Yeah>. together. <laughs> Which was cool. It was clearly, clearly a new shot. Um, but you know, regardless, it was it was much appreciated because we were told that Martian Manhunter was this character, this black guy in these two films that yeah, yeah he was in Man <laughs> that, Still, yeah, that, yeah, that he was in Batman v Superman too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we were told that yeah, that's who this character is, but we never see him properly flesh out that character. So it was good. That was good fan service. Ultimately, this was a 
uh, a movie for fan service um and solely that like it, i don't think that they were looking for any type of financial gain from this but um you know hopefully this allows warner brothers to make the right decision and uh not necessarily restoring the snyderverse but um you know restoring the the mythos of these characters to the proper vision because they sort of moved into a direction that doesn't even make sense for how these characters are supposed to be connected like like after watching the snyder cut there's no way you could convince me that birds of prey and suicide squad exist in the same universe like it's no way there's no way like it's like how can you can like and it's not to say that like tonal wise you couldn't fit it in but you know like these major temple films um just don't explore the universe enough in dc and you know they try to like give us these films with like all right well this exists within the universe and then you introduce the characters but like it's like yo like 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 you're just saying these things exist you're just saying they exist with marvel you like they set it up so that th- that it makes sense for the universe. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and- it's no real continuity on the DC side. Like, yeah. do they want to keep these origin stories outside of the shared universe or, or are they in the same universe, you know? And I feel like the Snyder Cut, like if that were the only version of this, it would have been a nice alley-oop. It would have been a nice oop to do to flush some more of this out like aquaman might have made a little more sense like you know yeah uh i mean i'm i'm just happy to see uh harry lennox uh still making moves um him as martian manhunter is going to be dope um i i hope that we get a a green lantern maybe not like a a movie (laughs) i think they've greenlit a series for hbo max green lantern oh that uh, would be dope corpse it's about the corpse and not just uh, uh Hal or, yeah. or um I forgot the other one's name. Um and he's black, which makes me feel like shit, but it's all good. <laughs> Everybody know who who we're talking about. <laughs> Weird. But yeah, man, thanks for uh coming on to talk about this uh this film, you know. Yeah, man, absolutely. Every time, bro. You hit Word. me, I'll I'll be here. Word. So I'll catch you later, bro. All right, my guy. All right, peace. It has been real, guys. As always, some topics, questions, music, and movie suggestions. Follow the podcast on Twitter at VS Mike History and on Instagram and the fan base app at Versus Mike History. You can guys can follow me on Twitter at Mike History and on Instagram at Last Name History. And this week's sound selection comes from Smino. And this is Plead the Four Fifth featuring Saba off of the Judas and the Black Messiah soundtrack. And I will see you beautiful black people on another day. Be great. I'd like to exercise my right to remain silent, please. I plead the because this shit is beyond me. All black words don't mean anything. City of hate or city of I wanna love all of y'all, but I don't think it's in the. I think I'm calling off. I'm tired as fuck and I'm not in love. Surrounded by narcissists, when news just moving through the contusions. They see my hue and they wanna do me just like Huey P. Newton. I got a laundry list of lessons in Chicago lost. Running from pagans, running with Reagan, now they with Donald Trump. I don't take nothing too personal. Play 50 cent on my card, is blow. Gold grill and a greasy throat. No peace to the PD folk. I like to exercise my right to remain silent, please. Uh, I said I love all of y'all, but that's to get the deposits off. I was a child, meanwhile, my grandfather playing a Majima. 
My niggas incarcerated, cops still living the blood law. The city's so cold, I had to leave out quick and let the car defrost. But in Chicago, dodging a pile, no, I uh, Cause that's a reality, this shit ain't no PG of Tangerine. They cover it up a catastrophe, a couple of them came out of tragedy. This shit is a one never had no peace, they pulling me over, harassing me. So I let them see all the messes bleed. I'd like to exercise my right to remain silent, please.